Yeah, but this brings back to the idea that potentially our technology is a direct development of the technology of the ship. Therefore, our technology would be compatible with the ship. Mac is not compatible with anything. You know he didn't have the correct adapter, as if. Impossible. Jesus Christ, Doc, you disintegrated Einstein. Disintegrated Einstein. Einstein. Welcome to Science at the Movies, a podcast that looks at the role of science in some of our best loved and most hated movies. I'm Frida. I'm Abby. And this week's movie is Independence Day. It's very exciting. I just have something to say before this gets started. Okay. We have our first correction (gasps) from a listener has contacted us to correct something in our podcast. Is that exciting? It depends. It's very exciting. (laughs) What was it? Okay, it's my mum. All right. Okay, great. Cool. (laughs) (laughs) It's from my mum who's better at remembering movies than me. And you're going to really laugh about this, Abby. Oh, God, go on. <laughs> okay. So in Spectral, I said that the pedophile from Happiness was in Spectral. <gasps> <laughs> and she said, it isn't him, Frida. <laughs> <laughs> she said, Dylan Baker. Oh, so proud. Dylan Baker was not in Spectral. <laughs> it's this, she said, it's an actor called Dylan something else that looks very similar to Dylan Baker. And you're wrong about him, that he has plenty of work. (laughs) Thank you, Mum. Anyway, that's what I get for volunteering information that nobody asked for. You were so happy and proud about that reference. (laughs) I know. Here comes my mum to put me in my place. Anyway, yes, that's what I get for volunteering unnecessary information. Um, Smugly. I'm sorry. (laughs) can't say that I won't accidentally spot Dylan Baker in other movies in the future, but I won't say anything about it. Okay, Abby. Okay. What's, what's up? How you going? Oh, God. Well, now I'm super, like, now I'm, I'm quite happy now, actually. It was really enjoyable. Not happy about your humiliation, but, like, you know, you, you've brought my mood right up. Because you wanted to take that out. Yeah. No, I said, you know the bit where you talk about the paedophile? Can we take that out? And you were like, no, because no. it's a really good movie reference. <laughs> I want to flex my flex my movie chops. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I, I am okay. I'm okay. I'm, I'm much chirpier now with that. Thank you for holding that back until the recording. That's really cheered me up. Because um, I mentioned to you before the recording that I... So I'm running on uh, very few hours of very disruptive sleep because one of our neighbours decided at 2am to start singing football chants out the balcony for the Mm. whole night from 2am up until 11.30am this morning. He has been singing and chanting about how he hates Chelsea Football Club. Oh my God. He obviously just decided last night that he felt very, very strongly about what Chelsea should go and do and who they should go and do it with. Maybe he was just talking about his ex-girlfriend Chelsea (laughs) and you misunderstood. (laughs) That would explain quite a lot of what was said, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Um, 
Right. Anyway, so that's me. So I, I'm drinking a lot of I'm drinking a lot of water to try to rehydrate and wake myself up. But um, I'm super excited about this movie, so it shouldn't be a problem. Oh my god, I'm so excited. How are you doing? How's it been since I last talked to you? Oh, it's really boring. I watched Independence Day this week. That's what I did. Yeah, no, it's good. Everything's good over here. Um, what can I say? The weather's great. Sun's shining. Um, so much so there's no snow in the Victorian Alps, which is where I usually would be this time oh. of the year. Um, but there's just really nothing at all. And then mixed with all the COVID restrictions, it's sort of a bit of a uh-uh. So I'm staying, I'm staying in for this time of year. Um, school holidays happening, which is sort of a, always exciting. But um, I really have nothing interesting to say about myself whatsoever. Um, so I'm going to stop talking about myself. <laughs> and we'll go on to the okay. movie, which is, um, yeah, back when the word America made us feel good. <laughs> we had Independence Day. We did. And back when the military felt like it did something good. We had we had Independence Day, and so it really harkens back to a certain time in history, which we had no longer in. Yeah. And Abigail, yes, can I call you that? Yes, of course. Abigail, that is my name. It is your name. This was your movie choice. Give us the summary. Yes. Are you ready? Are you ready for this? Oh, I'm ready. Um, I shouldn't have to explain this movie too much, but I'm going to. So here we go. Independence Day, a beloved classic from the era of 90s disaster movies, brings us into the world of alien invasions, hipster Jewish scientists, sassy soldiers, idealistic presidents, and America saving the world on a day when they should all be chilling at a barbecue. This movie opens with SETI finally earning its paycheck and picking up an unearthly signal from beyond the moon. After a bit of back and forth and the inclusion of the army and the president of America, obviously, it's pretty clear that the aliens are coming. So we enter a sequence of fancy CGI and stock footage depicting one of the most memorable images in movie history. 15 mile. Now, that's about 24 kilometers for those of us using metric, a.k.a. the whole world. Anyway, 24 kilometer wide flying saucers, because that's what they are settling in the skies of the world's biggest cities. President Bill Pullman stays cool and rational. Let's see what they want, he says, of the army of giant alien spaceships that must have dropped by to introduce themselves, because probably all the 2G we were flashing around in the 90s. (laughs) Air Force pilot Will Smith heads to work. Just another day on the job, innit? While cable guy Goldblum senses something hanky with that signal. Once his eight years at MIT brain breaks the code, he grabs Daddy Dearest, good old Judd Hirsch, and heads for his estranged wife, Margaret Collin. Luckily for us, on and off wifey is the president's campaign manager. Fancy that. So he gets into the Oval Office, quick smart, and drops the bomb. The signal ain't no friendly banter. It's a mother-tucking countdown. Dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-
Dragging the unconscious alien, he comes across a caravan of Randy Quaid-shaped people that drive him to the military base he spotted nearby. And OMG, it's only Area 51, isn't it? (laughs) Prez Bill Pullman and Cable Guy are on Air Force One when American white guy politician number one, James Rebhorn, admits that Area 51 is a thing. And they all head there, because, like, why not? Meanwhile... Will Smith's lady love, Vivica Fox, is basically being a solo badass woman while carrying a kid, a dog, and saving Lady President, among a ton of other randomers. So now, all our important people are at Area 51, and we finally get to meet the joy that is hippie Dr. Brent Spiner, who reveals that an alien ship did land in the 40s with three aliens, no less. And it just happens to be the same as the little ones causing all the bother now. (laughs) A bunch of stuff happens. Then Golden Goldblum has a revelation. Computer viruses, all the rage in the 90s. (laughs) Oh, and he makes the old alien ship work. President Bill Pullman gives an intensely inspirational speech and the world gets ready to fight. Pilot Will Smith and Goldblum the Great take the little ship into space infiltrate the mothership, hit it with the cold, nuke it from the inside, and then narrowly escape to strut their glorious stuff across the desert, smoking their cigars and basking in the praise of their women folk and president. <laughs> and we have our Independence Day! <laughs> You're amazing. <laughs> James Rephorn, James... God bless James Rephorn. God I bless mean, I, James Rephorn. I made sure I put his name in for you. I love James Rephorn. I made it my business to learn his name many years ago because he's just in so many movies and I just want to be like, I see you, James Rephorn. This bloody movie has everyone in it. Everyone. Every single character, every role, every like one-liner is someone. When I rewatched it recently, every one-liner, I was just like, I know that guy. I know that guy from other shit. Like, it's great. Do you love it? I love it. I just love it. I always loved it. I just... And even rewatching it, there was nothing like, you know, there's a movie that you love and you watch, you watch it like when you're a bit younger or a few years ago when you're like, mm-hmm. oh, that was great. And then you come back to it with this type of an eye on it where it's like, OK, I'm going to, you know, it's for the podcast. So I'm going to be looking at it in a slightly different way. And I just didn't. Didn't matter. Just love it. Still love it. Every moment is great. <laughs> Every scene is great. Even the stupid ones. Even the like him <laughs> rocking up to the bloody fort with the helicopter. You're late. I always like to make an entrance. Just don't even care. Yeah. Yeah. Even even her finding the first lady, her finding the first lady, him landing and finding her immediately, all that shit. What about him landing on the parachute with his legs completely straight, just <laughs> landing on his flat feet instead of the way you're supposed to land, which is kind of at a run in a way that would have shattered every bone in his body? Because <laughs> when that happened, I was like, Whoa. <laughs> so there were, and what about, what about the whole America? Oh, yeah. Well, Didn't that... I feel like revisiting that was a little bit, you know, funny or different than the first time I watched it. That is actually a point that I was reading a thing that Roland Emmerich, the director, said about it, that he said that he went on set when it was being decorated and he was like, there's too many flags. And they were like, "Um, it's Independence Day in America. And he was like, oh, okay, cool. And then he said that when it came out, everyone was like, oh, you're Mr. Super Patriot. It's like. Well, no, because I'm German, but okay. <laughs> yes, Roland Emmerich is he's a German. He's a German man. He's an openly gay um, German film director from the nineties. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Tell us a little bit about him. I know he's done a bunch of other films as oh. well. The main movies that pretty much everyone should recognize, um, 
go from Universal Soldier, Stargate, mm. Independence Day, Godzilla, The Patriot, The Day After Tomorrow, 2012, White House Down, Independence Day Resurgence. He's done a bunch of other stuff as well. But um, I was kind of looking at stuff about him and what I thought was super interesting was he said that he had written this script without indicating anything about race or ethnicity, but that when he then said that he wanted Will Smith, the producers and the studio execs were actually pretty like hesitant, like, you know, AKA they wanted a white guy. Mm, um, an so I just love that he got them in because he made a point in a Guardian um, interview that he did uh, just a couple of years ago, actually, before Insurgents came out where he said that um, when the movie came out, everyone was so focused on the whole like patriotism side of things. And that um, for him, what he wanted people to focus on was that this was a black man, a Jewish man, and a white bread politician all saving the world as a team. And it was really cool. And it just made me go, hey, he makes some shit movies, but he's a cool guy. He's a cool, he's an amazing guy, I guess. And, and this movie is, is, this is like an awesome movie. And you're, and you're so right in pointing out that it does have some serious representation um, of, and yeah. also there's a, there's a strong, um, very strong female character here as well, um, as well. And, and that, and mm. that stuck with me heavily growing up. A lot of the scenes in this movie really, really never left me. Um, especially the scene um, when Will Smith's um, partner, played by Vivica A. Fox, drives the, first of all, saves her son and dog, and especially the dog. Yes. That dog is just, yes. he pops up, you know, he's there the whole time, saves the dog, <laughs> saves the kid, gets on a fire truck, drives around looking for survivors. She's just so strong in such a wonderfully yeah. um, feminine way. She's just got a real female strength to her. Uh, that's really beautiful. And then when she, she saves the first lady um, and her just gentle strength, it really, I'd never forgot the scene of her talking to the first lady about what she does for a living. And she says, what do you do? And she says, I'm a dancer. And she said, oh, ballet. And she said, oh, no, exotic. And she's like, oh, I'm sorry. And she said, no, don't be. I like yeah. it. In that movie, she is absolutely fucking glorious. And the end scene when, you know, they're at the desert and she runs to him in the desert and she's like in these shorts and she's got this white jumper and these like Timberland boots. I always wanted to be her. Yeah. I've got two fun facts about Emmerich. Do you want to hear him? Oh, please. Okay. First fun fact is he was once a chain smoker who was known to smoke as many as four packs of cigarettes a day. From then, he often includes in his films characters who are trying to quit smoking or warn against the dangers of smoking so if you just think back to, then to the bits with the cigar and oh so this is healthy yeah i can't do that accident oh, so this is healthy so here's my <laughs> other fun fact now i'm obsessed with this and i you have to have already come across this and if you haven't i'm even more excited do you know what roland emmerich's next movie is set to be no oh my god is it like marie curie biopic or something no his upcoming movie is set for a 2021 release it's called moonfall do you want to know the do you want to know the plot yeah it's an epic space disaster film about a mysterious force knocking the moon from its orbit and sending it on a collision course with her <laughs> it's apparently going to star Halle Berry and Josh Gad Olaf and Catwoman saving the world from the moon did you know what that's the follow-up of Independence Day because that nuclear bomb that they set off inside the mothership surely knocked the moon out of its place <laughs> and there is no way it didn't. 
Or it just blew the moon up as well. So Moonfall is actually the sequel to Independence Day. How's that? I love it. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, so this movie, would you say the, the theme of this movie is independence, I guess, but it's also uh, really about uh, mankind uniting in their humanity, literally, or the, the fact that we all, yeah. uh, w- what would happen if we all face an alien uh, threat, I guess it would unite all of us. Um, but it's also really about America's greatness and all the other countries being like, thank God, America has an idea. I had a different idea, actually, I decided. I made up my own decision on what I felt this movie was about. Okay, go. And I think the entire movie is a metaphor for humanity's capability for destruction. Because we're destroying our own planet as we are. We're quite literally looking at exoplanets and searching for planets that exist in habitable zones where there's enough solar radiation to allow for liquid water on the surface and all this kind of stuff for us to be able to like plan future colonies. And we're talking already about like trying to get a colony on Mars and how can we grow vegetation on Mars? And if we had the technology to move beyond our solar system, we'd probably do that too. And here's these aliens who, Mm. you know, they consumed everything that was on their own planet and went, we got to go and find another place that's got the same resources that we can use. And then they just found us. And obviously by the time they found us, they just went just not gonna be friendly anymore just you got what we want we want it we're gonna take it we're bigger than you you are heavily sympathizing with the aliens in a sense in a sense well because because if we go to mars and there's bacterial life on mars we're the aliens invading mars and destroying that bacterial life's habitat in order for us to survive so amen we are the harvesters Mm mm-hmm we're no better. Yeah, by like your 20th planet, you basically stop trying to be peaceful about it. A couple of generations have grown in and they're just like, this is what we do. Why are we being nice? They just get in there. We're bigger. We've got better technology. Let's just take it. The aliens as well were obviously like a hive mind. They're, they're, they're cruel and they have a hive mind. And so, and, and something about alien movies, which I always wondered about, which is that the thing about alien invasion is that they're always got a single leader of their whole species. So they're pretty globalized. They have total unity, which is what you need to have that kind of level of, um, um, power, that level of success in colonizing yeah. the planets. You need to have complete unity. And so that is what humans don't have at the moment. We don't have like a, a, a global nature and a single leader, <laughs> which we can focus on going to other planets. But I always wondered why they say, take me to your leader Earth. And we're not globalists. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, it's like, yeah. which country did you land in? <laughs> if it's a smaller country, then America's probably going to want to muscle in. So, <laughs> Yeah, America. I mean, this movie is a very big... Um, example of American exceptionalism which is actually more the theme I would say it does try with the inclusion with you know the the snips to the other countries and the fact that this is happening all over the world and like I said you know the stock footage shots and then the little extras really trying to culturally depict all these countries very obviously (laughs) I just like I laughed out loud at the accents on the British soldiers like gee willikers Jeeves whatever will we do that's wrong that's not even a British accent is it (laughs) and then they have Africa Africa because it's just a country right yeah 
with people that all look like that. And then they even have like a Saudi Arabia thing where there are these women in tents with like stuff on their faces, like those like, uh, oh gosh, fish, uh, fish scale, metal fish scales over their faces. Like it's just so rude. It's just, <laughs> it's but that's so the rude. thing. It's like they've just gone, here's a bunch of countries. How can we very obviously depict what these countries are? So like we can, it, through images, we can show these ones. And now to try to depict other countries that image wise don't look that different, let's just make sure the accents are really obviously different, which is why the British guys are like, <laughs> by Jove, we can get them with the torpedoes. The Americans <laughs> have got it. It's just like, they've done it. Thank God. What is happening? Yeah. The themes of this movie, American exceptionalism, uh, human unity, but also we are thinking that this movie says a lot about uh, destroying planets and going on to find other planets and other resources. Um, But as far as our tropes of the week, themes of the week, is there anything specifically you wanted to talk about that came up for this movie for you? I... um... My, I actually have crossed over a little bit too much, I think, this week. Because I, I was kind of looking at it and I was trying to pick... But I, just, I just love this movie so much. That <laughs> even, like, in good stuff, I was like, I can't really find anything. I Just because I do think it's done very well. But the main thing for me, and it's not a science-focused one, but um, it's what we've just talked about. It was America saving the world again. But as a movie in itself, I still just love it so much. It's so good. I have a I have a trope. I have a movie yes, trope, what is your trope that I want to talk about. And we have a little yes. pattern um, where I think that you pick up a, a, a theme and I get a trope. Okay. Um, this The movie trope that I am going to pick out is the way people get ideas in movies. And the reason why people get ideas in movies in the following way is because uh, in movies, it's very difficult I guess to film subjectivity i.e. the character having an epiphany so they have to externalize it somehow or have the viewer be able to see what's happening in the mind of the character right what I'm talking about is <laughs> when when David Levinson Jeff Goldblum has his virus idea go something <laughs> like this he's, he's drunk he's on the floor because he's pissed off that they're going to nuke the aliens and therefore they're going to have a nuclear winter and we've built his character up until that point to be caring a lot about the environment so he's got a leather necklace most important thing he rides a bike um and he has pot plants and he and he has a little bit of a rant about somebody putting uh, cans in the regular bin he goes my god in heaven (laughs) so he's on the floor getting angry about a nuclear winter and his and his father saying get off the floor get off the floor you're gonna catch a cold and he goes, what did you say? <laughs> what? What? What did I say? Got to catch a cold? Oh, my God. You're a genius. <laughs> You're a genius. And he runs up. <laughs> You're a genius. And he goes, what? What did I say? What did I say? So this is this is how people get ideas in movies when he goes, say that again. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I don't have anything more to say than that. But it's apparently in the movie land, people get ideas like that way and then never explain themselves. Never go. Yeah. That gives me an idea. Huh. They just go, oh, my God. And they run out the room. It's in a lot of um, crime shows as well, because I like a lot of, like, crime TV programs like Death in Paradise and, like, freaking, you know, Miss Marple and Summer Murders. I can't help it. I love <laughs> totally. them. And it's just that. It's always that moment at the end as well where someone says something or, you know, they see something and they just pause in the face and just the, wait, say that again, say that again. I've got it. <laughs> and then they're gone. They just leave and they, and they what? What did I say? Yeah. 
we all have to wait for the reveal. Everyone has to be gathered together so everyone could be there to like hear it. And you're just like, ah. beautiful. I love it. I love it. Well done. Well done. Anyway, so um, I I found like there was so many things in this movie because it's just uh, it's just. It, it is an important and influential movie which went on to influence so many other beloved movies so yeah. there are so many cliches I guess what we would look at as cliches in this movie um, so those are the themes we talk about American exceptionalism and, and we talk about people getting ideas in movies um, and we're going to move on we're going to move on to the environment of science there's, there's a few um, scientific elements in this movie one being of course the uh, computer hacking the computer virus the filtering out of the signals on Jeff Goldblum's end and then we have of course arriving at Area 51 and not to mention of course SETI plays a big part here as well Um, so I think there's a there's a quite a few points to talk about um, with environment of science I feel like we can have a little quick discussion on SETI just to begin with to get that out of the way that's a that's a thing. It's actually the co, I forgot what his name is. Starts with a P. It might be Paul, but the co um, creator of Microsoft it has put like an enormous amount of money into sending up SETI. Yeah, so crazy. I actually did a debate in first year astronomy um, on is the search for extraterrestrial intelligence a waste of money. <laughs> I um I basically because 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 the truth is that the search for extraterrestrial intelligence has uh, sort of accidentally led to the uh, development of a lot of technologies that we use yeah. a lot, um and so it sort of pushes the boundaries of science in a sense. So it it forces people to come up with new sorts of technology. So it's been fruitful, yeah. Um, but a lot of it is private funding. So whatever old crazy rich people want to do with their money, they're totally free to do. I guess. SETI. Any any thoughts on SETI, Abby? I actually thought they did SETI quite well at the beginning, just in terms of like they'd open it. It's just one dude and then something happens. And it was that proper moment of like there's there's a bit in um and whatever you think about the TV show Big Bang Theory, if they talk about SETI and they have a line, that's the type of job where it's like boring, 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 boring. Oh my god, where's the manual what we do now? <laughs> and it's like it's very true. Totally. You know? It's like yeah. that moment it happens and he's like oh my God, something's happening. And they have to ring the guy up and wake him up. And it's like, something's actually happening. And then there's a couple of scientists around going, wait, something's happening. <laughs> and one of them was a lady. Yeah, it. one of them was a lady. Was a lady yeah, there. there are definitely a few women dotted here and there. It, like when we watched Spectral yeah. uh, last week, we were commenting on like, they could have put some <laughs> fucking women anywhere. But here, yeah, they had like women here and there, sort of as, yeah. as you do. And that was the 90s. So for God's sake, Netflix. Um, <laughs> so that's, that's mm. enough about SETI. And I think we could like yeah. rubbing my hands together because oh, 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 Jeff Yay. Goldblum Renaissance man. This was the Jeff Goldblum Renaissance. <laughs> the sexy <laughs> male scientist, the sexy nerd. Yeah. This is where it comes from. I guess the hipster side, and he really was a hipster yeah. with his like uh, uh, recycling and all this sorts of riding a bike, and again the leather necklace and the t- you know the flannel shirt and he's got his glasses and i reminded myself to look up the brand of glasses that he's wearing because i know he wears tom mm. ford glasses now but those were not tom ford glasses they might have been moscott uh, they might i love i love what your um sense of importance was his glasses <laughs> yeah what glasses are these <laughs> i just looked this up really quickly and there's a reddit because i'm not i am not wrong about this there's a reddit page called need help finding <laughs> jeff goldblum's glasses independence day <laughs> 
Def- and someone said it's definitely Oliver Peoples. Oliver Peoples, I believe it is the Finley model. Oliver Peoples oh glasses. So he's wearing Oliver Peoples glasses. There you go. <laughs> Which is the same okay, glasses cool. from American Psycho. <laughs> there you go. Oliver Peoples glasses. Okay. This is the best random bit of movie trivia I've ever heard. Thank you. Yeah, super important. <laughs> so yeah, he's he's a Renaissance man, and um, you know he's he, he's something that I, I'm sure you have a lot to say about David Levinson. I'll give you the I'll I'll give you the floor, Abby. I don't have a huge amount to say about him. Actually, I was trying to figure out kind of more about how he was, just in terms of like as a scientist. Mm. Yeah. Um, if that's what we can actually call him, because there's not much information. So what we do know is that he was apparently super, super smart and graduated high school at 16 years old uh, with a full scholarship to MIT. He apparently went to MIT for eight years, but we have no idea what he did, but presumably some sort of doctorate, I guess. So I guess he is some sort of doctorate. In computer science. Well, yeah, it must be computer science type stuff. Um, but that when we meet him in the movie, he's working as a satellite technician for a cable company. So that's why he's able to kind of clock the signals and knows a bit about like, well, that's why he knows about satellite technology. Yeah. Um, But yeah, but he's just a super cool, normal dude who's like, I mean, I guess there's a lot of people like that. I mean, if you're going to go to university for eight years, some Hmm. people are ambitious and want to move forward. And some people are like, just want to go and do a job that gives me some money. That's right. That I don't have to stress about. And, you know, focus on environmentalist ideas. Uh, he, yes. And he obviously him and his wife's marriage sort of took a turn because she had ambitions in the White House, I guess. And, and he wanted just a nice sort of New York life, having a, having a good job and playing chess in the park with dad. And he, nothing that he said to me was off at all. Like I thought that he, he as a character with his computer speak and um, his ways about him felt totally on point um, with a computer scientist. And I love the way that he kind of couldn't take seriously like a lot of the military speak because we get introduced by Will Smith's character saying all this bullshit. Fat Lady Sings, a blurb about Harry Connick Jr. Oh, my God, we forgot to talk about Harry Connick Jr. So I just mentioned his name, Harry Connick Jr. Okay, stop. Anyway, um, and then when he's when he uh, gives his whole plan to the military people, and he's like, "I'll put the virus in," and then he's like, "And then I'll let you uh, take him, uh, take him out, take take him down, uh, do your thing." He says to them, <laughs> the way he talks, like <laughs> he's like the thing. What was the one? The one where it's like, "Oops, oops, what is oops, oops, what does oops mean? <laughs> what is oops? Tell me what is oops." The whole time, the whole time. <laughs> like the bit at the end, and they they have the little bit of a turnaround, and then him. Oops. He says at the end when he's like, tunnel, tunnel, exit, exit left. And Will's like, I know. And he's like, they're closing on us. And Will's like, I fucking know. Yeah. <laughs> must go faster. Must go faster. I, I loved him. He just couldn't give a fuck about all of that. Like, he just has his confidence. It's like, he's a geeky guy. Yeah. He has all the confidence in the world. I think it's his Jeff Goldblum's confidence. And his charm is just through yeah. the roof. His charm oh, is magic. Amazing. He's magical. It just, like, seeps out of every pore in him. I don't... You are so right. When we were talking about doing this movie, you said to me something about um, the magic, that you wanted to recapture the magic of this movie from a memory of watching it when you were younger. And what is the magic that made you love it so much? And I was watching it and I was like, it's 
fucking Jeff Goldblum and Will Smith. That's what the magic is. It's these people just having this charisma that just makes you just want to enjoy them. <laughs> I know. Totally amazing. I wrote down, I want more Will Smith and Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> That's just what I want. I, just, I, I don't understand why this isn't more of a thing. I don't understand why there aren't a bunch of movies out there with Jeff Goldblum and Will Smith together. Like, why has this not happened for us? <laughs> This is leading on into something now, which is in my new mini segment, okay? Which is, and I, I'm going to make a musical bit for it. I will do it. And now, are the Jews correct? <laughs> okay, welcome to my segment, Are the Jews Correct in this movie? And I also, I will say that Jeff Goldblum's, the color of his skin, that's the color of my skin. It's like a little bit olive. Do you know what I'm saying? It's not quite white. He's from somewhere. And his hair is like brown and it's thick and his eyes sparkle. He's a handsome Jewish man. That is like Jewish sex appeal right there. Represent. Represent <laughs> Jewish sex appeal. So that's Jeff Goldblum has introduced to the world the Jewish sex appeal. So I would say thank you for that, Jeff Goldblum. And then you have Judd Hirsch, the father, who's just like everything he says is is is. I mean, whatever. They're they're New York Jews. Why would they be not accurate? He hands him a, a sitter and a yarmulke at the end, and Jeff, Judd Hirsch makes a little circle singing Shema Koleinu Hashem Elokeinu. Everyone does his prayers, which is totally on point. I mean, Baruch Hashem. I'm really happy for the Jewish representation. All right, back to the show. And that was, are the Jews correct? You know, like Maimonides or Baruch Spinoza. That's great. Wait, because I, can I just say something about Judd Hirsch? Because my favorite moment of Judd Hirsch in the whole in the whole movie was when when David goes to get him and he knocks on the door and he's just like the looting is happening outside and Judd Hirsch just like the door opens with a massive shotgun in his face and he's like they said there was looting. <laughs> I was just like yes, go for it. I love it. He's like you're not taking oh my, my shit. <laughs> I mean, I love how he's correct all his conspiracy theories. It's like Area Fifty One. Yeah, Red Air Force One, the president, you knew, you all knew. Oh, and this is another great bit when he's saying, I'm in the White House, I'm in the Oval Office, and Jeff Goldblum goes, would you believe an immigrant like me? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) All right, back to science representation. And I think we've talked about David Levinson. He is a good he is a good nerd, he's a sexy nerd. By the way, since the nineties, those nerds now rule the world. Yes. People that are good at computers are the kings. And it it wasn't necessarily so in the nineties. Now certainly um, people that are software engineers or developers are certainly yeah. the kings of the world. Good for them. Good for them is what I say. Um and I think we can move on to talk about the other yeah. science environment of science in the movie. Oh my god. <sighs> Dr. Oaken. I just, I just like. Beautiful man. And you know what was amazing? I watched the whole scene with him at the start before I clocked who he was. Who is he? Brent Spiner. Who is that? Mr. Data. Who's that? Mr. Data. Star Trek. Next gen. I'm not Data. Data. Come on, how do you know who Data is? I've heard of it. My (laughs) mum is a Trekkie. I oh. have never watched Star Trek. 
it's I'm oh sorry. my god it's just because because it, so in in star trek next generation mr data is a he's he's an android so he doesn't have emotion he's very like the whole persona of the character is the the idea of the like the humanoid robot and you know over time like he learns and develops human emotion and all that kind of stuff but like and that that brings you all the way up to like present day picard the series that came out recently which is fucking incredible um but like brent spiner is just like loved sci-fi actor in general and then he just comes out as this like (laughs) complete different type of character to what mr data is and it just brought me so much joy (laughs) it's just like and i mean it was very stereotypical in terms of like you know uh, he's a bit like alien hippie, you know, <laughs> alien enthusiast hippie. But at the same time, he can be an alien enthusiast because he knows they're real. Yeah. But like, <laughs> he's so excited. You know. But I, I read. Um, what did I read? So when I read the wiki fandom about him, right? Uh, so he's the director of research at Area Fifty One. He apparently got a PhD in astrophysics from Caltech, and immediately after his PhD, he was recruited by the military. So he's been isolated in Area Fifty One <laughs> for his whole life, and that just explains so much, doesn't totally. it? Totally. Like, no, he's amazing. You think? But do you know what's really cool? Um, you know the way they so they made Independence Day Resurgence in twenty sixteen. Yes. So they've got like this whole history now, like on like wiki fandom, all about like the war of nineteen ninety six and then the return of the aliens. But what's been going on for the twenty years? The only reason I'm bringing this up is because the Earth Space Defense Agency made a biopic movie of Doctor Brakashokin. <laughs> it's on YouTube, and I love it so much. <laughs> it's just like it's just a little like three minute thing about like the heroes of uh, the hero- <laughs> heroes of the war of 96 and then it's just all about brackish oaken it just made me really happy so I'm going to put the link in the show notes oh beautiful just, I was like it's great but I do have one question about brackish oaken for you okay so he's the astrophysicist right okay he's sure. director of research cool he's there you know he's been looking at this ship for like however many years 50 um, looking at all this tech and looking at these aliens, blah, blah, blah. Why is he leading the autopsy? Oh, oh I've done mouth surgery. <laughs> oh my God, have you? Oh my God, yeah. I can intubate teeny mice. I, I, yeah, no, I'm cool with that. I think when, I think sometimes when you're like in a lab with only a few people, you just learn how to do shit. I think anyone can do an alien autopsy, especially because you don't really have to like worry about keeping it alive. But yeah, you can learn shit. Yeah, I, I can do mouth surgery. That's my answer to that question. Um, I loved that. There, I love the scene when he goes. The last twenty four hours has been really exciting. <laughs> And the president's like, exciting? Would you call it exciting? People are dying out there. And he's like, oh, fuck, I, I did it again. <laughs> but he's been there for so long and nothing has happened. And now finally, like, shit's happening. And he's like, hey, my research is going forward. It's like, oh, yeah, oops. <laughs> Sorry, I forgot. <laughs> Very real moment. Uh, he's, he's just such a good character. I love his... Um, just his raising eyebrows and just the whole physicality of him. He's just, he's wonderful. Yeah. All right. So there's beautiful science scientists in this movie. I feel like this movie has some like really heartwarming representations of nerdy science people. Yeah. Which I really appreciate. Yes. 
shall we talk about Here Comes the Science? I think it's time for Here Comes the Science, which also needs a musical bit. Here comes the science. Here comes the science. Hey, look, it's Science Guy. (laughs) Science is here. (laughs) TikTok, it's time for science. (laughs) Hey, Abby, what's the time? It's science time. (laughs) (laughs) So what science did we have in this movie? We've got a few science things. We can do our little redux on our alien life forms. Mm-hmm. Uh, topic. We have computer hacking, obviously. We've got a whole lot of stuff, actually. We have yeah. a whole lot of scientific things that we can go through about things that were accurate and things that weren't accurate in this movie. Um, I think the first thing maybe we should talk about is that was my alien mm. sound. Trying to make the sound like a wobbling flying saucer landing, but I just can't do it. I can hear it in my head, but I just can't make my. We'll get a sound effect. come out. Yeah. If we have too many sound effects, we'll just turn people off. Okay. Aliens. Aliens. Are they real? Aliens. If they were real, what would they look like? Would they da, look da, like da. this? Abby. Aliens. Well, huh. so we're. We're going to no doubt cover a lot of alien movies as we go along. So I don't really want to overly like focus on alien life itself, but just going to give a little brief overview of what the general concept in terms of actual research into extraterrestrial life is. So like our current research for alien life is limited to using things like spectroscopy to analyze chemical signatures to assess whether a planet's environment is suitable for life as we know it on Earth to exist. In terms of our solar system, the potential is there for organic life forms like of like bacteria to be present on Mars and some of the moons of Saturn and Jupiter. So like places maybe like Europa and Titan. But this may not sound massively exciting because we're not talking about like little green alien men. But the thing is, if we find life in another location in our own solar system, then this has massive implications on life itself existing on a larger scale than expected. So it would increase the likelihood of us finding alien life in many more places in our own galaxy as well as like yeah. the universe. But we can't say in what form life would be. Like we're looking at what we term biosignatures, which are different chemical compositions that exist in our own atmosphere as a direct result of life being abundant on our planet. So things like oxygen and methane in the atmosphere and then liquid water on the surface. The planet needs to be a distance from the sun Um, that allows the liquid water to exist and then we have an axial tilt that allows us to have seasonal changes so our vegetation can like grow and evolve but there are other forms of life that exist on earth in like really inhospitable places like super cold places or like really hot places like bases like the depths of the ocean and like bases of volcanoes and stuff and these like little kind of bacterial forms of life so the thing is When it comes to intelligent life, we just can't predict what could be out there. Because what's super interesting is if you take our closest star, Proxima Centauri, it has an exoplanet Proxima Centauri b. And the light that we receive takes 4.24 years to reach us. Mm -hmm. So if we looked at a planet 1,000 light years away, we're looking at the form it existed in 1,000 years ago. So who's to say what developments like in evolution and technology progression could have made in that time? We can look for signatures of pollution and like indications of like industrial work. So like gases that would be caused by like industry. 
And of course, you know, we talked about SETI with the radio waves looking for technological signals. But at the end of the day, again, we're looking at history. There might be like seas of harmless bacteria and lands of animals that we couldn't possibly imagine on our own planet. Hmm. But there might also be intelligent beings that have very different physiology and communication methods at varying stages of technological advancement. So there could be a race on the other side of the galaxy with 50,000 years of development on the way to harvest us. But they could also just come and say hi. What do you think? What do you think about aliens in our galaxy, universe, world? Not world. Uh, What I think is that it's so vast that surely there's stuff. But... This is the uh, a nice way to think of it is that um, we've only been sending out radio waves for like a hundred odd years. Let's just say a hundred and ten years or something like that. Mm. And if radio waves travel at the speed of light, so we only have signals coming from our planet that are like a hundred and ten um, light years away. So yeah. only aliens that are within that radius would be able to know that we exist. Because they would detect our signal. Because otherwise, how would anybody find us because of its vastness? You just send out random yeah. stuff in directions and pick up a signal. That's what we're trying to do. We're trying to pick up other people's signals. They're trying to pick up our signals. The likelihood of them being inside the zone to pick up our signal is so slim. By the time they pick up our signal, don't like we will have made ourselves extinct by then. By yeah. the time that people, that any aliens that are intelligent find out radio waves and which is probably mashed up with so much noise and it's been so bent by gravity and bumping into things and bending around things that we will, if even if they find it, we will have definitely killed ourselves by then. So uh, if that's comforting, uh, you're welcome. <laughs> so, <laughs> so aliens probably do exist, but in what form we don't bloody well know. Mm. Well, if they're intelligent enough to find us, they definitely won't find yeah. us anyway until we're dead. Um, so, so, yeah, don't lose sleep over that. Yeah. Well, so for that reason, I don't, I kind of think that, like, over time, I guess, over when we talk about alien movies, we probably won't really talk too much about, like, could aliens no. exist? But we can take aspects of what this, you know, what is being presented to us. So I would very much like to talk about telepathy as a method of communication i i have telepathy do you have telepathy no i don't so telepathy well what is it exactly it is basically just communication from one mind to another by extrasensory means so how could it actually work oh my god all right okay look in reality human beings do not have the physiology to send and receive messages through neural responses unaided by technology but could aliens do it well That would, of course, depend on the physiology of the aliens and how they have evolved to communicate. And I don't think that there is anything in science that can directly say, no, aliens would not be able to communicate amongst each other telepathically. (laughs) So the main question from this movie is, could a human receive a telepathic signal from an alien? President Whitmore. Why not? You know, they wouldn't have known what was going on if President Whitmore didn't, like, get the signals in his brains going... I know what they're going to do. They're like locusts. Yeah. They destroy everything. Do tell yeah, tell me what you think and then I'll t- then I'll tell you what science says <laughs> <laughs> about telepathy, about whether aliens could communicate telepathically with humans. There's nothing in science that would tell us that aliens can't 
communicate telepathy with humans. <laughs> Science will never be able to prove without a, without a reasonable doubt that aliens can't communicate with us telepathically. So, <laughs> <laughs> Very well worded. <laughs> okay. So that is, I mean, that's, that's true. But like, you know, it's this whole thing in science fiction. Actually, this is probably what I should have picked as a freaking trope. Like, the whole thing about the alien told me in my mind what's happening. So scary, though. It's so terrifying. Alien getting into your head and giving you a flash of its intentions. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing is, like, we're talking about signals no matter what. And, like, there's no indication that we as humans have the physical capability to receive a telepathic signal. But the bigger problem between a telepathic signal between an alien and a human is the lack of a shared language. So I've condensed down some notes that I found from a xenolinguistics class taught by Dr. Sherry Wells Jensen, right? So if we take speech production, there's three main phases. You form a proposition, you make a plan for a sentence, you utter a sentence, and then we receive it in the reverse. You hear the signal, you break it down into words, and you interpret the sounds. So the only place where shared language is less of an issue is if you're receiving the proposition for a sentence and not the actual words. Yeah. But you'd still have to have a similar experience of language in order to correctly interpret the signals being sent. Other problems are how would you separate an incoming signal from your own thoughts? Like, Ah. how would you even know who was sending the actual message to you? And one potential is going back further. Go back to pre-linguistic mechanisms where a message is not shaped by a language but of pure thought, which is a concept that doesn't really have a proper scientific explanation as far as I know. But like pure thought is transmitted and then received. But then this could result in like super abstract thoughts and it's not confined by some language structure. So how do you separate the incoming messages again from your own thoughts? How do you know what's alien and what's you being cray cray? And the answer is, the answer is, you know. When you, you know, you know, when you know that the thought isn't coming from you, you know. <laughs> you just know. When something else is making you think things, you just know. It might be <clears throat> that would he experience the same experience of like something just hitting him and he's like, whoa, <laughs> either something is in this can of Coke or that alien is talking to me. Um, but Abby, what about, because a lot of people think in images is the thing. A lot of people don't think in words, they think in images. So I feel like and I definitely think in images. So, so I was imagining that he was being shown mm. images of the locusts, sort of like aliens coming and ha- taking all the resources from planets and going from planet to planet. So what about if someone's thinking in, in images? Like, what about that? That's Well, that's actually what I wrote down. I just, I just kind of went, well, I've made the decision that the alien was projecting images of its own memories mm. and that it showed, as you said, them moving around and just killing yeah. everything. And then from that, Whitmore was able to go... Maybe President Whitmore is a visual thinker. Oh, the aliens are. Um, Aliens. Yeah, that's interesting. So, yeah. So, I mean, telepathy, okay. It's, you know, we can't say for the aliens. But, like, this isn't the only way that they communicate. So they are apparently, as you said, acting as a hive mind and communicating. But they're also using signals. And then they're using Mm. our satellites to bounce the signals to their city destroyers around the world from the mothership to communicate the countdown. So they must be using radio waves and have computer-based technology that has some similarity to us, do you think? Yeah. And then you had all those aliens in the mothership in the, in the startup, in their startup, in their open plan office down the bottom over when, there. When that scene came up, all I could think about was like all, you know, women in um, 
well, telephone operators. Or, you know, women in the office. And it's like, Andy, did you fix number 48? The latch is doing that thing again. <laughs> it's just like... Just... A call center. Yeah. It's just like, what is happening? <laughs> yeah. So they obviously communicate in ways other than speech. That's okay. Through computers. Exactly. And using the satellites to bounce. And he was... Fil- and Jeff Goldblum's character was filtering out the, their particular signal from what he was getting from uh, satellite from a lot of the noise. Um, so yeah, I suppose like it does make sense if you want to make an assumption that are advanced. Like what I was thinking about it was, I was like, okay, how are they, how are they able to use our technology? How is it that they have a system that is compatible to ours? And then I was like, well, if we made an assumption that our advancement in technology since the 40s is in part based on the research gained from Area 51, (laughs) then, you know, there we go. That's right. Yeah, I think that that is something which we actually can infer from the movie, is that a lot of our technology is derived from the alien technology. And that's why there was compatibility. It's an interesting theory. So they're sending the signals around about the countdown, but it also gets established that there's another purpose for the signals that are going around. This connection between all the ships is connected to their ability to have a force field. Yeah. Right? That, that's what they were saying, right? Yeah. Yeah, well, it has to be that their force fields are connected to the ship's force field. They're all getting a signal. They're all getting a signal from the satellites. They're getting a signal. But that signal was supposed to be for them to shoot. So I don't get Are they being powered by the mothership? Mm. You know, that doesn't make loads of sense to me that they're being powered by the mothership and the force field. Because the force field is my point. You have to be powered. So I think there is a little bit of a plot hole Mm. there, I would say. And it, it does lead me in, if I may, into the whole computer virus thing. Because, so what did he do? Um, He's uh, uploaded a virus into the mothership, um, which, because he's, and first of all, David Levinson's been becoming more familiar with the technology as the movie goes on, um, which is great. And they came in to the mothership and he had his laptop and you see the laptop is connected with cables to the ship <laughs> i love that right? so, much. <laughs> so i'm assuming he's being collected in cables to the ship the ship docks in the mothership so the dock i'm assuming has power is you know it has is now connected to the network so they're connecting the laptop into the ship the ship is connected into the mothership via the dock he's uploading uh, some virus which does something undesirable okay a couple of questions right why did they have time to do a graphic display of the uh. virus <laughs> they're trying to save the world overnight and then there's like a skull and this it's like, is like your thing on spectral so with the freaking um, trademark signs on the weaponry <laughs> it is it is in every movie they have time to do fucking display this like perfect display ready for production is ridiculous. And also, how did they know what graphics drivers the aliens were using that they knew how to display the graphics? But putting that, all that aside, he's connecting it in, he's uploading a virus, all that's fine. Except for the fact that his computer is so obviously a Mac. 
And there is no way that Mac would be compatible with the mothership. Through what <laughs> wires? What cables? Not in the 90s. <laughs> I've got a Mac right here and the adapter that I'm using to connect everything in there costs like 50 bucks. <laughs> they probably had the adapters that are 51. <laughs> what, what adapters to make compatible with the mothership? Oh, come on. If his computer was Linux, I would at least believe that he something, some kind of universal. Yeah, but this brings back to the idea that potentially our technology is a direct development of the technology of the ship. Therefore, our technology would be compatible with the ship. Mac is not compatible with anything. You know he didn't have the correct adapter. <laughs> as if. Impossible. Impossible. The whole film falls apart because his computer is a Macintosh. <laughs> And I did freeze frame several times just to make sure, yes, it was definitely not Windows. It was a Macintosh. So I just... <laughs> but maybe Mac had some sponsorship deal. <laughs> and you know what? It isn't just me because I Googled this. And actually, when I watched it many years ago when I was still little and didn't understand anything about computers, not that I understand anything about computers now, but I did not understand what he was doing at all, what it means, a virus. So I thought I was very excited when I watched the movie this time to, like, to see if I could understand it. Um... And it's not crazy, you know, like him talking about isolating the alien signal and he's, he, he's, he's all making a whole lot of sense. And I actually did Google how did he put the virus in and stack overflow. <laughs> there are amazing discussions on uh, how people are figuring how he did it. Um, you know, did the aliens have wireless? Probably not. But yeah, I think, I think there's a little bit falling flat of like how did they communicate um, with the mothership when they were on Earth, but other than that, it's kind of holds up, apart from the Mac thing, obviously. I think that's it. I think we came to the end of our science bits. Um, I think it's time for our favorite segment. What the what the what the fuck? What the fuck? Speaking of Weird Al Yankovic, I did feel like yeah, um, <laughs> the Dr. Oaken really did evoke Weird Al Yankovic as well. That similar kind of just outrageous, hopeless nerd. Okay, look, there's this like trending theme in each of our recordings <laughs> where you bring something up. Mostly it's you mention a movie and I say I haven't seen it. But I'm just going to admit that right now. I don't know who the fuck Weird Al Yankovic is. We, you don't know who Weird Al Yankovic is? No. Really? Yeah. Oh. He is a cover artist. He is the most famous, most successful cover artist in the whole world. You just have to look him up. It's not my job. It's not my job to tell you who Weird Al Yankovic is, okay? <laughs> it's your civil duty to do the, do the duty. work, Abby. Do the work. Okay. It's very important for nerds. We're near the end. We're at our what the fuck. Okay. We know you love this movie. We know this movie is beloved. Is there a moment in this movie which made you go, what the hey? What the hey? (laughs) So I don't have a bad what the fuck. I have a good what the fuck. (gasps) I have a thing that I don't know that I noticed before and I definitely noticed this time and it did make me go, what the fuck just happened there? But then in a good way. Did you spot the news reports throughout the movie? Hmm. I don't think so. So the first news report, there's just like little, there's just two little flashes of reporters on TV, right? And the first one is, 10,000 fender benders have been reported as a result of the alien ships in the sky. (laughs) 
10,000 friend event. And the second one is the best one. <laughs> this is the one that I, this is the one where I had to write it down and I was like, okay, cool. All right. So news report randomly in passing. Residents of Los Angeles are being asked to please do not fire your guns at the <laughs> spacecraft. You may inadvertently start an interstellar space war. <laughs> I didn't say that because it's so American. Just fire in the sky. Fire your guns. Get your guns. Like, oh my God. 24 kilometer wide spaceship in the sky. Put you guys out with their pistols. Just go. Tiny little bullets. Because <laughs> you just know what would happen. 100%. So yeah. Oh my god! Oh, so yeah, so that was my what the fuck, but yeah, it was a good. It was I love like it. what the, <laughs> what the hey ho, <laughs> what the hey diddly hey ho. <laughs> what was yours? What did you? Mine is a what I think is it actually might tie in to what we were talking about in the pothole, but what I find is a major major plot hole. Oh no! <gasps> which is that um, the um, alien spaceship that landed on Earth. So all those alien spaceships came out of these breakaway parts of the mothership, which came through Earth's atmosphere. And then the little uh, spaceships came out and sort of emptied out. They had no uh, indication that it could go through Earth's atmosphere. I'm just wondering about that because those alien spaceships did not go through Earth's atmosphere. They came in through a much more robust ship and then came in that way while they were already on earth so the fact that they assumed that they'd be able to just go straight up into outer space for me uh a bit of a plot hole that's what i want to say a bit of a plot i didn't even think of that i thought of that where's the heat shield also like why do you have one random little tiny ship just rocking up to the rocking up directly in (laughs) yeah the ship not like the other ship's like joe what are you doing back so quick Come in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They all broke away in these big things, and now suddenly teeny ship comes. No problem. Yeah, that was my only thing where I thought, oh, that hurts a little bit. That hurts. <laughs> that, hurt, that hurt you, did it? Yeah, it hurts my science parts. Definitely. That's, that's, that's really it. Just look at a picture of Glorious Goldblum and you'll be fine. <laughs> oh, my God. He's just got such brown eyebrows. <sighs> wrote down in my notes as well god i love bill pullman (laughs) i just wrote that down i do love him i love him so much we haven't talked about him at all and i just i just want to give him a mention because i do love him i think he's wonderful i think he's beautiful in that movie he's just he's so handsome but um he's just got that little kind of side eye that that works for me oh yeah unbelievable side eye and uh and that speech that rousing speech Damn, it's a good speech. It is such a good speech. And one last mention of the dog. Just one last mention of that fucking awesome dog in the back of the vehicle when they're going to pick the guys up after they've landed from saving the world and the dog's just in the car, just along for the ride. Dog. Yeah. (laughs) I wrote dog. I know. I wrote that down as well. The dog. Dog. Movie dog. I want to say that the dog had the best action (laughs) scene in the whole movie. (laughs) The best stunt scene. He jumps up through as the fire's coming through the tunnel. He just makes it in the door, man. I love that they gave the dog that action scene. It's great. The best. (laughs) The best. I love in movies when people do not leave their dogs behind. Oh, my God. Love a dog. Yeah. 
Uh, beautiful. Oh, we've come to the end. We've come to our ratings. Yeah. And the first one, which is a perfect segue, <laughs> is does it pass the Bechdel test? No, of course it doesn't. But I couldn't give a shit. It does. It what doesn't. Are what are you talking about? Two women talking about something other than a man with names. We have two scenes. We have Jasmine and Tiffany talking about don't go to the building, don't go see the aliens, that's Jasmine and Tiffany, and then we have Marilyn and Jasmine talking about what she does for a living, and that's really all I got. But, like, I thought the Bechdel test thing was that, like, you have to have, like, they have to have a meaningful conversation, at least 60 seconds, that's not about a man. And, or in, in it at all, because she does go, so what do you do? And she's like, I'm a stripper. Mm-hmm. Well, it doesn't go like that, but, well... I didn't know you were coming. Say hi to the first lady. Okay. I don't know. I mean, well, this is, <laughs> I will say though, I do think it's a weird thing. I don't know. Did I kind of go a bit crazy, but I feel like in the nineties, there was a lot, I mean, yeah, we've talked, there's a lot of nineties disaster movies, but also like, there's a lot of like, this was a big cast, a lot of people. And there were quite a few females like seen in the movie. And then these main characters, they were all kind of mostly there as someone's, you know, it was wife, someone's wife, someone's, someone's, wife, girlfriend, someone's girlfriend kind of thing. Yeah. 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 They weren't the, they weren't the leading ladies. No. But like you said, I mean, Vivica Fox had like amazing, she was a badass and she was kind of very independent in the movie and what she was doing. But Except like she was like the mother. Um, the, I just feel like yeah. we kind of then did we go into like some weird thing in the two thousands where that just stopped happening and suddenly we ended up oh. up to like what a couple of years ago where you like spectral and you just oh, couldn't yeah. possibly have women be 100%. seen in the movie as extras and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It was just uh, I loved it and the question. I don't know. I suppose like in some ways, yes, it passed. The in some ways, but in other ways, it, ugh, whatever. They're all for, they're yeah. all girlfriends and the wives and the mothers. Yeah. But then at the same time, yeah, I loved the movie so much. I mm. love them so much, and I do think the female characters had their own characters in there. Yeah. But there's just so many men. It's hard to have them have had. It a does lot let of itself down. Whatever things they give the women to do, it lets itself down completely at the mm. end when the men are walking, smoking cigars, and the women run to them. I was like, give me a fucking break. I know. Uh, but I still, I don't so, care. I love the scene of the two of them walking. I love the scene so of great. the two of them walking too. And they're women. The swagger. Uh, women have run to us. And like, yeah. you know, yeah, we can do better as a, <laughs> as a sex. We can do better than that in a movie yeah. for sure. But it was the 90s. But we're going to, so, yeah. We're going to try and judge movies on that. Um more yeah. harsh I think yeah. in uh, the more recent movies and the newer mm. ones that come out um, movies you know that have already been made quite a long time ago before people started yeah. getting a bit yeah. louder about that kind of stuff I think maybe we won't we won't rip no, them apart for I it don't, yeah but but I, I having said that we've we definitely are happy with some of the woman folk uh, and their general behaviors and their general yeah. strength general strength yeah that they yeah. show in this movie and so for that i think i'm happy that this movie exists and it has uh, a nice little yes. you know um, fanfare of some nice women so here comes the science bit do you think it passed here comes the science this here comes the science bit is the science good <laughs> i don't i don't even know how to how to re- yeah i don't know i guess, I, I yeah. guess yeah i mean it's aliens 
Some of it's a bit crazy. I mean, the size of the ships and the fact that they're hovering that close to the ground uh, and the fact that they whatever. got through. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's tough. Uh, it's you know, and, uh, yeah. And then there's the, you know, the telepathy thing and the whole force on the computer. Like, there's a lot of but it. The human science. Yeah, there's. The human well, that's the thing. So part. I actually watched a fucking YouTube video, right, that um, uh, it just pretty much discredited the whole science of the movie based on our current technology. It was the stupidest YouTube video I've ever watched and I was really annoyed by it because like, you can't do a comparison like that. It's a fucking alien movie. That's right. Do you know, how can we say, like, we don't know? You don't know? I don't know. Who knows? <laughs> Nobody does. We're trying to find out, but, like, you know, so... You got leeway. You can kind of do what you want, really, in an alien movie, can't you? You can do whatever you want. Yeah. I mean, I think, yeah, he was a satellite tech guy and he knew how to, he knew what computer viruses were and he knew how to use one against technology. Yeah, I think it's okay. I think I think it was good. I loved, um, yeah, all the Jeff Goldblum's, all his parts for me, past the Here Comes the Science, definitely. That was exciting, definitely. Um, Final verdict. You go. Five giant hearts. Five giant hearts. Five big green alien heads. We give um, last last week. I gave Moon. Uh, for last week, we gave Moon five stars because Moon deserves five stars. So I don't think Independence Day is a five starer necessarily, but um, I'll give it um, Star of David's out of five. I'll give it a 3.8 Star of David's out of 5. Just because I'm going to leave room for movies that are truly exceptional and that don't kind of leave me a little bit feeling sick to my stomach. Um, That was your movie pick, and I had so much fun with it. And next week is my pick for the movie. Yes. What is it? What are we doing? We're definitely having another movie which will not pass the Bechtel (laughs) test, but it is a movie that has to be done. It must be done, and and, and it will make people watch it. Um, I think all our viewers, we have thousands of viewers. No, we don't have thousands of viewers. Watch (laughs) this movie. Next episode in two weeks, the pick will be Altered States. Another one I haven't seen. The last two that you've picked, I haven't seen at all. So, well, that's just what it's all about, isn't yes. it? Yes, it is what it's all about. And we have another announcement, uh, which is that starting from this week, we're going to be doing mini series. Yes, between our episodes, very short, very short episodes that I called our mini sodes. <laughs> so we're going to pick a theme um, and have a collection of mini sodes within that theme. Mm-hmm. Um, and they'll be released in the weeks between our actual episodes. So the first, following on from Independence Day, our first mini-sode theme is, drumroll, Abby, tell us. 90s disaster movies! Yes, 90s disaster movies. So we're going to have a few mini-sodes covering a range of 90s disaster movies. They are not worth an hour of our time. <laughs> they are only worth 15, or your time, 15 minutes. And so we're going to give them that. Yeah, and also we just thought it would be, we know that um, it's a it's a long wait, two weeks between episodes. Oh, I know. They want to hear our voices. I know. It's, it's our dulcet tones. It's, it's <laughs> our dulcet tones. There's a lot of movies that yeah. we love that are like not in the scope of what we're trying to do with science movies, but we kind of want to revisit them a little bit. So I think that's what it's all about. There's a lot of topics as well that I think we just like would have some fun just having yeah. a quick chat about. That's maybe not necessarily a big movie and it may not be massively science oriented in the movie. There might just be little aspects here and there. So cool. So, yeah, that's our first um, our first 
our first mm-hmm. mini series. That's it. All right. That was wonderful. As the saying goes, that was fun. I can't wait to be back here in two weeks' time with our chats about altered states. Okay. Thanks for listening, everybody. If you'd like to get in contact, you can email us on science at the movies at gmail.com or catch us on Instagram at science at the movies. That's it. Oh, can you please give us a rating and subscribe? Subscribe, follow us. That would be very useful and helpful to us. Okay, do all those things. Um, yeah, okay. Let's stop now. <laughs> stop your talking. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> I'm sick of your voice. Thank <laughs> you.